0: A show that sounds like it's live you know i mean it's just so cool <laughs> mm-hmm. you could do that you'll be surprised with this story of gunsmoke how good it is it's really amazing
1: yeah. this is the story of have gun will travel right not gunsmoke oh.
0: No, no,
1: it's the story of Gunsmoke. Oh, 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 I just got that one in. You said, have gun, will travel. I thought you said that. Uh, And that's why I said, oh, this is is terrific. I just got, um, Ron in Hawaii sent me the five-part story um, of Gunsmoke, so I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I just got that in. Ron uh, in Hawaii uh, just surprised me and popped it in my mailbox. So uh, that was a real treat, and I'm working through that a little bit at a time. I mean, it's a lot to sit down and listen oh, no, to, sitting. but um, yeah. really good stuff.
0: But if you listen to that, if it's, if it's, yeah, if it's not uh, real clear, or if it's not really, I, I'll, I'll let you, you know, I'll give you the one I have because it's just fantastic.
1: Okay, it sounds great. I what I'm listening to sounds really high-quality sound. But that, but, uh, that, I'll, that, I'll let you know how the rest of the parts come out.
0: You know, Ron, I haven't talked to him in a while. He always, uh, he used to have me send him, uh, uh, he always wanted, uh, well, Marvis Brooks. That was always his favorite show. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: So yeah. oh. okay, well, thank you a bunch, Bob, and I will, um, I'll get this out to you this week, and your responsibility oh. is to let me know how it measures up.
0: All right. Okay, you guys, thanks. care, and Walden, stay cool. I'm concerned about. Oh, I
2: know. It. I have the fan on. I have the windows open, and I, that's, you know, this, uh, yeah, that's, this 72 degree we, weather,
0: this humidity. We open the windows here; it would be unbearable in the house. You couldn't open the windows here. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, you know, we California kids, we suffer through this un- unbearable hot weather out here. You know that. Hi,
0: baby. Poor baby. Yeah, even in the dead of summer, uh, Patricia, especially if you're not in the valley. The valley might not be quite as nice, but I know growing up in Long Beach or where Walden is, uh, every, well, you, I don't, maybe it's like that in Florida, too, since you're so close to the coast, but every night it would really cool down, where even in the dead of summer, you, you if you went out to, like, a ball game or something, you usually put a light jacket on, even in mm-hmm. July or August, you know,
1: if you're out at 10 o'clock at night or something. Never happened here. <laughs>
0: No, I'm not there. It never easy. happened.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll share some of those with you. When you start getting cool, uh, I'll, I'll have kept some of this just for you and ship it out to you.
0: All right, thank you. Talk <laughs> <Back> to <laughs> you guys later. All
1: right,
3: Bob. Thanks a bunch. Bye-bye. You have. Bye-bye.
1: And there's Bob
2: Lowe. 714-545-2071. anybody need any hot water, Patricia can put that in the box, too.
1: Oh, boy. And I've got leak-proof boxes that I can ship sunshine in. I'd be happy to do that. Um, Everything is magical on the Internet. And I need to know who first recorded Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I will give you a 12 Days of Christmas question. Let's see what I've got here for a 12 Days of Christmas. Here somewhere. 12 Days of Christmas. You can look it up. Uh, in the 12 days of Christmas, how many swans were swimming? We have a partridge in a pear tree. We have two turtle doves. We have 11 pipers piping. How many swans were swimming? Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Bob. Although he didn't intentionally do it, um, he did answer the question about John Daner. It was J.B. Kendall, who was the lead character in Have Gun, Will Travel, and that was played by John Daner, or he was played by John Daner, and John Daner played Paladin and have gun, will travel. And Bob touched on both of them, so that question is off the list. Hello, Carl. You're on with Patricia.
4: Hello, Walden. Hello, Patricia.
1: Hello, Jim. How are you doing tonight?
4: Well, not, it was a little hot today. Not quite as hot, I'm sure, as St. Louis. And I've lived in St. Louis, and I can remember that hot humidity. I mean, it, it, it wears you down.
1: How hot was it today for you?
4: And, you know, I actually... Uh, prefer cold weather to hot because you know when you're cold there are things you can do about it you know you can get extra blankets you can get extra clothing there are various things you can do drink drink hot drinks but when you're, when you're hot and the heat is just coming down on you there's not a lot you can do about
1: it well you can go to the library
4: well that is true
1: and you can go to the supermarket
4: well that is true well, i did grocery shopping last week and it was hot and Standing around those food freezers was actually very comfortable.
1: Uh-huh, and the inside of the supermarket is also comfortable. And you can sit in a cool bathtub with a glass of iced tea.
4: That is true, and you can listen to some... And, and it, it, it may not help physically, excuse me, but psychologically listening to those Christmas shows.
1: I was just going to say, and you can come out and listen to Walden and Patricia with Christmas shows. Um, my question to you is single show, um, do you have a favorite Christmas show or Christmas episode, just one, or a Christmas tradition, just one, this is very hard for Jim, or a favorite song, just one.
4: Just one question, one one thing only, huh?
1: One thing only, Jim has never faced this challenge before in his life.
4: Well, let's see, my choice, I'm thinking about Christmas song versus Christmas, uh, radio program let me think now that but we've we've I know in the past we've talked about many great christmas shows
0: uh-huh.
4: over the years i think one show i kind of liked i don't i'll stick to the song because that because you know that the, there's so many shows it, it's like picking your favorite child kind of you know right my one christmas song i loved as a child I was finally able to get a recording of it, and I sent it to Walden a few years ago on a tape of some old Christmas Children 78s. Jose Ferrer sang it in 1954, and it was called The March of the Christmas Toys.
1: And he sang that?
4: Yeah, Jose Ferrer. It was a Columbia Kitty record. Uh Uh-huh. I think it was MJV220, I believe, was the serial number. The B-side, it was Rosemary Clooney, who he was married to at the time, saying, let's give a Christmas present to Santa Claus.
1: Sounds like a neat combination.
4: It is. Maybe Walden can, can play that sometime, some night for you. That would okay. be fun. Yeah, and, you, know, and you, know, you, you think of Jose Ferrer as a dramatic actor. Right. and he, he made some wonderful films and huh? it, things. I never thought of him as a singer, but he did a nice job on this song. Never thought of him as a singer either. Yeah, uh, the opening line is they're winding up the toys and they're beating on the drums. Let's see, root tutu tutu and rum tum something like that. And Santa Claus, let's see, now I can't remember how it starts. I know the first line is they're winding up the toys and they're beating on the drums. And it, it talks about how Santa salute all of the toys, making are making Santa very happy, and he describes the various toys. Wait. Yeah, it was a wonderful Christmas record, and, and it's just one, of, one of my pleasant childhood memories. Um, I, it, oh, shall I answer one of your questions for the Elmer Davis?
1: You, I was just going to say I pulled up my Elmer Davis here. Jim has to answer a question. Go ahead.
4: Shall well, so I do one of your Christmas ones?
1: Uh, it, do, you re, do you remember a question, or would you like me to ask some?
4: I, I know the one you just asked.
1: of swimming is correct so you will have elmer davis
4: yeah he was a great reporter if bob is still listening in st louis and i don't know if he will have time to call in tonight but i've been i listen to his gun smoke programs that he does on the uh, on his show and i wanted to ask bob if he if he has time to call in did he have a favorite particular era of gun smoke i mean the early years that when it was sustaining or the Liggett and Myers years when L&M and Chesterfield sponsored it or the later years when other writers besides Meston were doing it and it was uh, multi-sponsored and uh, toward as the show end, ended its run, and did he have a favorite time period of Gunsmoke episodes my brother who has become a big Gunsmoke fan liked the sustaining years the best, the 52 to 54 era when it was unsponsored because he said they just seemed he thought the scripts had a harder pace when it was unsponsored.
1: That's interesting.
4: And, if Bob, and Bob's sort of the Gunsmoke expert, and it would be interesting to hear what he had to say about that because a lot of people, you know, have fa- they, they have favorite radio shows, and we all do, but we like different eras of the shows. You know, like uh, the shows evolved or changed over the years. Like most people, for example, I think would agree that Jack Benny's best shows were the lucky years. For the for the writing and the pacing. Although the Jell-O shows were good and the and the Grape Nut shows were good, the, uh, most collectors seem to like the Lucky shows the best. Wouldn't you agree, Walden? I think you're
2: absolutely correct, Jim. Yeah. hmm You're absolutely correct.
4: And suspense. You know, every every collector I've talked to has different opinions about that. Uh, although for me, the Auto Light era was my personal favorite. That the period from 48 to 54.
2: I totally agree with that. That's, that's my nomination
4: too. I liked. I, I like, have to agree with you about Have Gun, though. That it was just such a superb show. By the way, that the two actors were Harry Bartell and Vic Vic Perrin audition for Paladin. Yeah, that's right. Uh, ben Wright audition for J.B. Kendall on Frontier Gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Who would have been good, I don't know, I don't think he could have topped Daner, probably, but he but he had that, you know, he was an English actor and could do those English accents so good.
2: He, he was one of the Sherlock Holmes in the late '49, era, which we don't have a copy of. Right. he did Sherlock Holmes for a while.
4: He was, uh, but he sure could play those, uh, it amazes me how Ben Wright could play an English type of person. He could, of course, he played Hayboy, the Chinese right. character on Have Gun. And he also could play other, you know, Oriental type of roles. Um,
2: You know, during the rehearsal, he used to fill out the uh, New York Times crossword puzzle in in ink.
4: Oh, when he was doing the Have Gun rehearsals? Uh
2: Uh-huh. Hmm.
4: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Here's one for you, Patricia. Uh What writer or novelist, actually, who later became a very famous novelist, wrote one Have Gun, Will Travel script? And it was and it was done on television, but it was also adapted for radio.
1: And you want me to tell you who that is? If you know. <laughs> no, I don't know, Jim. I'm begging for an answer.
4: Irving Wallace. No
1: joke. Wow.
4: He wrote one script. Uh, the radio version of it aired July 5, 1959. It's called Comanche.
1: That, that is really an interesting tidbit. He was quite a versatile writer. Um, he and his daughter collaborated on a couple of books. I believe they were the books of people.
4: Right. Uh, sort of a whatever became not whatever became of, but about uh, didn't they write the daughter write like the class of '65? Maybe that was something else. But
1: I, I think that was something else. They actually wrote a series of books that uh, listed. Almost, I was, go- I was going to say almost every imaginable person with a brand name, but that's silly. Um, the, they filled three books, and the paperback book, the first paperback book, is easily two and a half inches thick. So, and I've got them, I've found them, and they are absolute treasures.
4: Well, the novel, of course, he wrote many novels like *The Man* and *The Prize* and *The Word* and uh, *The R Document*. Uh, you know, various, uh, dealing with various political themes. Like the first, actually, the first African-American president in novel form was, I think, in Irving Wallace's book called *The Man*, which was made into a movie later with James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. And Irving Wallace wrote that story. As I recall the premise of the story was the president. Uh, there was a vacancy in the vice presidency, and somebody, the president dies, and the next person in line in those days, I can't remember if it was the Speaker of the House or President of the Senate, but it was an African-American, and he had to deal with, and this was in the 60s when bigotry was still a very strong, and civil rights was still a very strong issue. and There was a lot of opposition to him being president on those grounds, and I did not see the movie that James Earl Jones made of it, but it was an excellent uh, novel. And another, who, what other famous television writer wrote some of the early Have Gun, Will Travel scripts who later wrote a very famous series a decade later?
1: Don't have a clue, Jim.
4: Gene Roddenberry.
1: Oh, I should have known that.
4: Yeah, he wrote, you know, he wrote several of the early scripts. And including the very famous Have Gun, Will Travel Christmas episode called Hanging Cross. It's episode number five, December 21st, 1958, the radio version. And uh, someone else adapted it for radio, but uh, Irving, I mean, uh, Gene Roddenberry wrote several Have Gun, Will Travel scripts.
1: Interesting. Do you have enough Have Gun, Will Travel shows?
4: I know many of them on cassette, but if you want to send the, you know, these, well, uh, 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 since I won the Elmer Davis for now, I mean, maybe next, i want to be fair and let somebody else have a chance to win, you know, those.
1: Now, well, now you've got something to march for the next time. I will, um, for the next round of trivia, when you call in, I will send... They uh, have Gone world travel shows.
4: Okay. Well, Elmer Davis is going to be fun. By the way, I was telling you yesterday. I'm, I'm really having fun with the Mr. Keens. I've done about six of them now.
1: Cool. They really are a lot of fun to.
4: Uh... I've also listened to the Gun Smokes you sent, and that's why I was thinking of that question for Bob because I'm up to uh, I'm up to 1960 now. I've been hearing them in order, and what's fun is I'm able to hear. These are in chronological order, so I'm able to go through them episode by episode. I've been listening since about march you know when i got them yeah and now i'm up to 1960 i have about a year to go on them and they're i listen to several each week and they're they're really fun to listen to and yeah. they're, good, they're very good quality by the way the group you sent
1: yeah i thought so too jim um but if you're all the way up to almost the last year you've done a powerful lot of listening there are a lot of shows on that one
4: well, I've listened to uh, some of them in other years, but some of them, you know, I, I missed and I, I didn't have them, but, but hearing them in order,
5: mm-hmm. is fascinating to hear
4: how the characters evolved or changed. I noticed in the later episodes, and maybe Bob notices this too, it seems like in the later episodes, Matt seemed to be more irritated with some of Chester's idiosyncrasies in the later years than the earlier years, Like mm-hmm. because that might have been the way the other script writers did it, like the way Chester would make the coffee, and the outlaws who, was in, who were in jail were always complaining about Chester's, the way Chester cooked the food.
1: Yeah, well, had to complain about something, poor Chester.
4: <laughs> but, you, know, you know, when you think about life in the 1800s, I imagine that there weren't a lot of choices for what you could eat in the 1800s. I mean, can you have, when you think of the West, and you think of Dodge, and you think of the hot weather, and the cold weather, and... I still find it amazing that they could go into the bar and drink those beers when you really didn't have good refrigeration to keep the beer cold. hmm
1: Didn't have any refrigeration. Right. <laughs>
4: and, and when you and you think of the and I was thinking about the primitive medical conditions that Doc must have had to work under. hmm I mean, when you think of the progress we have made in, in that in those areas, and I was uh, and of course uh. When, when, when Matt and Chester had to ride out to, to take care of something, and it was always hot, you know, and you had to ride on the horses and open heat, and I can't even imagine how the pioneers in real life, let alone stories, moved west when you think about it, because of, uh, I didn't realize this until one of my college professors in a history class told me, I learned this in the early, my early college years, you know, you have an image of people riding covered wagons. You have an image of people riding in the wagon and the wagon pulling the horses. My professor said the wagons mainly had to be used for storing the household goods that most of the pioneers actually walked alongside the wagons. Correct. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. That's one thing, Jim. That's one out of a hundred for me tonight. I did know that. I, I did know that. did you
4: know that. I I that image. You think of people riding in the wagon, you know, just riding along. But can can you imagine how that must, and having to hold the harness and how how hot it must have been with no comfort at all? And and of course, you couldn't go in the winter because of the snow and the ice. Mm -hmm. So you had to go in the spring or summer. And, uh,
1: Um, it It was an interesting time and a wonderful, rich time in our history. But the hardships that these people survived are just incredible. So Elmer Davis it is, sir.
4: Okay, and, and uh, if Bob if Bob has time to call in, or if he want, or if he doesn't, maybe next week he can call in and answer those questions about his favorite era of gunsmoke. Because I'm just because he he knows a lot about the show, and I would just be interested in his feedback on that. Well,
1: uh, he's a good person for feedback. You are you picked the right one.
4: And one last thing, I would, another show with John Daner I would recommend for you. There's a CBS Radio workshop from I think it's April twenty seventh, nineteen fifty six, called. The Record Collector, where John Daner is the narrator. And they have these people that talk about record, the art of record collecting. And John Daner, he plays a fictional part, but he narrates it. And he does a real eloquent narrating voice on it.
1: Oh, he's got an, elo- or had an eloquent voice all over. I mean, it did, he just never did anything that was harsh to listen to. He had a wonderful voice.
4: Okay. So have a nice evening, all and Patricia, and we'll talk to you next time.
1: Thank you, Jim. Have a great night. Thanks seven one four
2: five four five two oh seven
1: one. When I start crackling, let me know because my phone is chirping. So that
2: means Patricia fine b- bacon, everybody. Quick, quick, quick. Can you hear it? Nope.
1: Oh, okay. So when I when I start crackling I'll have to switch phones. Um, if I start crackling. Okay, so what we about want the a snack? favorite oh, Christmas oh, show. What about the snack Christmas? Hmm? What about
2: the snack and snack and pop?
1: What, say what? Oh, crackle! Oh, snap! Oh, snap, crackle, and pop! Aren't you clever? You are such a clever person, Walden. <laughs> and you even knew who the magnificent—or what was the name of the splinter?
6: Charlie McCarthy.
1: The was it the magnificent splinter? Let's see, Walden's hard question. Magnificent splinter, yeah. <laughs> You're done good, Walden. Oh, you well. done good. Oh, good. Okay, well, we've still got some questions for people who want to call in. We need to know who first recorded Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And here is another question. Where did Lum and Abner live? What was the name of the town Lum and Abner lived in? That's a good one. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Where
2: did Walden Brian go? If you might want to call in. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: You just, you kind of go away once in a while, and I never know if I'm here by myself if Walden has fallen over backwards and fallen asleep. 714-545-2071. New callers only. Pick up the phone, give us a call, let me put a dot on my map, and I'll trade you a phone call with a CD. Wow. Sounds like a winner to me. We love that. And how. We've got um, lots of trivia. My goodness, let's see. Do I have any more on the days of Christmas? Oh, this is good, 12 days of Christmas. We have lots of stuff in the, fir- in, the in the 12 days of Christmas. We have furs and rings and a pear tree. Take a shot within two on either side. How many of the 12 days have people in them? How's that for a question? Good. Yeah. How many of the 12 days have people in them? Not a partridge, not a turtle dove, but people. How many have people in them? 274. Oops. Hold on. (laughs) 714. 545-2071. I'm looking at one number and trying to say another number. Okay, um, do, you want to, do you want to do a Christmas show?
2: I think so. I think it's time.
1: I think it's time for a Christmas show. This is one of my favorite. It competes with the best decorations, which we listened to last week. This one is painting the Christmas tree white. And sometimes it appears as Fibber paints the Christmas tree All of them center on Fibber painting his Christmas tree white. It's from December 18, 1945. Fibber decides to do the modern thing and paint their Christmas tree white. This is a, a, a practice that became popular around 1940. It started a little bit earlier than that, but this is what we were calling earlier flocking. Flocking the Christmas tree or making it look like it has snow on it. Became popular in the early 1940s. And uh, Fibber's contention is that, I love this green trees are outmooted. Not outmoted, but green trees are outmooted. And it's another Fibber McGee do it yourself job because the Christmas tree seller wanted $10 extra to spray the tree with white paint. Poor Molly, against her better judgment, Fibber set out about the job of creating a modern christmas tree and walton it has one of your favorites in there what is your favorite expression with molly oh dear oh dear (laughs) poor molly oh dear this is the Listen Hard show because when we come back, I'm going to have three questions for you that relate to the show. Three questions that if you listen to the show, you'll know the answers, and I just need one correct answer for a C D. So here we go with painting the Christmas tree white from December 18, 1945.
7: The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Yeah. The makers of Johnson's Wax product for home and industry presents Hipper McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. <laughs> things are you most anxious to have in your home? Aren't there beauty and cleanliness? Well, think for a moment how easily and inexpensively you can have both beauty and cleanliness just with an occasional application of genuine Johnson's wax to your floors, furniture, and woodwork. A rich, metal polished wax surface is a thing of beauty in itself. The wax brings out the grain and beauty of the wood. It adds a soft luster to leather, linoleum, and metal surfaces. And of course, this tough wax film protects these surfaces against wear, dirt, and moisture. Dust and dirt do not adhere readily to a wax-polished surface. So cleaning is not only easier, but a waxed home is actually cleaner and more sanitary. Johnson's Wax is of the very finest quality and long-wearing. The cost is really very little. So why not practice protective housekeeping in your home with genuine Johnson's Wax. Here is over There are certain people who simply won't admit that nature does anything right. They're the kind who gild cattails, paint whose little tootsie are you on the shells of baby turtles, <laughs> and clip turtle bugs to look like anemic lions. <laughs> Here's one of those people now. As we meet, Peter McGee and Mary. <laughs>
2: Everybody, how you be, Patricia?
1: I be fine. Merry Christmas, Walden, and to everybody, Merry Christmas. This is our fourth Christmas week. Yay! Uh, And we get one more Christmas week. Hooray! And I'll talk to you a little bit about what's going on next week. Okay, painting the Christmas tree white from December 18, 1945. We need a new caller. We need one of our family members we need somebody to call in and let me know the answer to one of these questions that relate to the show. How much did Fred at the Christmas tree lot say he would charge Fibber to paint the Christmas tree white? How much was Fred going to charge Fibber? Second question is, what piece of equipment did Fibber use to paint the Christmas tree? And the third what did Thibert describe as a poison ivy with berries? He was talking to Alice Darling, who thought mistletoe was a pretty good thing, and I just gave away the answer, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Walden, well, you let me do this. Well, that's okay.
2: We we, oh, we, gosh. we Okay, so we now we have to we give love, you a
1: freebie we, question.
2: We love Patricia's who gives away the answer before the question. That's always good. Oh,
1: I know somebody um, mentioned that. Who who mentioned that? Was it um, underscore Bill said Somebody. I give away the answers before uh-huh. people call in <laughs> with them? So that one I surely did, Bill. You are absolutely right. So I'm going to have to find another one. Okay. What did Teeny say? to make Fibber feel better at the end when he realized that he hadn't painted his store bought tree but the one that was sitting in the yard. What did Teeny say to make him feel better? What seven one four five four five two oh seven one. What I thought with
2: what, Q, hmm? what I thought was cute about Tina said about little children. You know how she um, yes,
1: Little Children, <laughs> yes. Announces <laughs> Doesn't Mrs McGee like little children? Or, Mr. McGee, you are so good to little children. (laughs) I can't say it the way Teenie does, but Mm -hmm. she says little. She overpronounces her T's in the middle. Little children. It is good. How much did Fred want to charge Fibber to spray the tree? What piece of equipment did Fibber use to spray the tree? And what did Teenie say to Fibber at the end that made him feel okay about having sprayed the wrong tree? Two sevens. (laughs) I did that again. 714-545-2071. The 2071 at the end is giving me a fuss tonight. (laughs) My fault. We have not heard from Cassie, and we have not heard from Ralph in quite a while. Um, Ron in Hawaii usually calls us with at least one answer at night, and we need a new person who is out there listening to us, new person to us, you may have been listening to us, but we haven't had an opportunity to say hi to you. So, please give us a call. Let me know any of the answers to the Fibber Show. And I have a couple of more questions as well. We've got who first recorded Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? And what other question did I ask? Lum and Abner, where did Lum and Abner celebrate their annual Christmas show? What town did Lum and Abner live in?
2: Hello, Carl. You're on with Patricia.
1: Hello?
2: Uh Uh-oh. Hello?
1: Did we lose somebody?
2: Well, we'll hang up and hack them to call back.
1: Oh, gosh. We got messed up. Yep. Okay, call back, because I have lots of questions, and I need to be able to say hi to a family member or a brand-new person. And I have this desperate need to give away a CD for a correct answer.
2: How desperate are you, Patricia?
1: I'm so desperate. I really want to give – I'm going to be so happy if somebody calls and I can give away a CD for a correct answer. Whoever was on the phone, we got messed up with um, phone connections and communication. Maybe
2: they were ordering a pizza.
1: Maybe they were ordering a pizza. This is possible. I never (laughs) considered things like that. So if you give us a call back –
2: Seven one four five four five two oh seven one.
1: And I want to know how much Fred at the Christmas tree lot was going to charge Fibber to spray the tree. Mm -hmm. What piece of equipment did Fibber use to spray his tree? And what did Teeny say to him at the end that made him feel better about having sprayed the wrong tree? Also, where did Lemon Abner live? And who first recorded Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Boy, that's a pile of questions.
2: He's also the first one to record, um, Frosty the Snowman.
1: Leave it to Walden. That's right, he did. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Willikers, I'll have to add that one to my repertoire. I know. Thank you for reminding me. Well, hey. Oh, yeah. Okay, one or the other. Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Same person. Who recorded it first?
2: 714-545-2071. So, you had a good week this week. I had a great week. And I was busy putting together stuff for tomorrow night. And I got a small little clip I want to play for you. Oh, good. Get what's it going to do? What's get the tea gonna Get the tea the audience, what's going to be on for tomorrow night. Oh, good. So, here we go, folks. You should be recognizing all these famous voices. Here we go.
4: We welcome to our
7: microphones. <laughs> <laughs> Les less Tremaine Fell Sorry as a child, that. and Sorry they never that. found out who tipped over the crib. I just felt that. <laughs> let me, let me, let me introduce the panel. Polly Bear, who played Chester on CBS Radio's Gunsmoke. Dawes Butler, who's the voices of such people as Huckleberry Hound and Yogi Bear, who worked for years with Stan Freeberg. In fact, uh, appeared with Stan on many of his famous parodies, including the one we're going to hear later of Arthur Godfrey. And Les Tremaine, one of the veteran names in the world of radio, Les a regular on Jack Armstrong, I Love a Mystery, and a whole bunch of other things. Parley, Parley Bear? Right. Explain that name. That's a crazy name, Parley. Yeah. Well, that's better than Hercules Blodgett, I guess. I, I, I don't. P-A-R-L-E-Y. P-A-R-L-E-Y. Never R-L-E-Y. met a Parley. Well, it, it's a, a Mormon name, one of which I am not, but I was born in Salt Lake City, and um, I think it was a compromise name. My dad's name was Charles, which, of course, became Charlie. He abhorred juniors, and uh, a friend of my mother's suggested Parley as a compromise, and uh, I've been more or less stuck with it. How long you working work in radio? How long did I work in radio? I did my first uh, commercial radio broadcast in 1933 on KSL in Salt Lake City. Were you a radio actor and announcer? hmm How many years on Gunsmoke? Ten. A little over ten.
2: And then we're going to hear that whole great interview.
1: That is going to be a super listen, yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah, you go. Time to tune in. So can I give people a really quickie note about next week? Please do. Okay. Next week we have a guest at 1030 Eastern, our regular interview time. We're going to be talking with Wayne Shiree. For people who have been with us for a while at Yesterday USA, Um, You might recall Wayne as the conductor. He was one of our DJs, and he was the conductor on the A-Train. Actually, he was our DJ, but the role he played was conductor on the A-Train. Walden, I have a couple of shows, and I can help you get a couple of shows. Will we be able to play a clip next week when, uh, when Wayne is with us?
2: If you can figure a way to get it to an audio CD file.
1: Okay, well, you and I can talk about that during the week, because I would love to have people get a memory jog. Otherwise, I'll tell them how to get to uh, the A-Train with iTunes. Uh, You can find it through iTunes. But anyway, Wayne is going to be with us. Um, He has a wonderful sense of humor. He's got a really laid-back style. As a conductor on the A-Train, which was the name of his show, he managed to integrate his words – with words that he had taken from tapes or uh, actual radio shows. He would have Jack Benny in uh, his presentation. One time he had Red Skelton. One time he had Ken Goff, one of our other DJs. And he would have a conversation. He would find pieces of shows that fit with a conversation he set up, and he would ask for... um, the passenger's ticket to punch because he was the conductor and whoever was the character would answer him back in an appropriate way, but it was something he had borrowed from another show, so it was really a neat piece of engineering to put those shows together, and uh, I think you'll enjoy listening to Wayne. He's he's a lot of fun. He's from Alabama. He's got a wonderful round sound from Alabama, and he's, um, he's not only fun to listen to, it's fun to listen to him, so we've got two treats there. So I'm really looking forward to that. And, of course, it will be our fifth and final Christmas in July weekend. Well, then, can we do it in August, too? We We can do it in August. We can do September,
2: October, November.
1: This is cool. I'm really having a good time. I I do enjoy Christmas. I love Christmas shows. I love Christmas music. I play Christmas music all year long. So um, this has been an awful lot of fun for me, and I hope... People have been able to cool off a little bit. My goodness, some of the temperatures have been brutal. But after that, Walden, if I've heard you correctly, you and I are going to be together from that point on at 1030 on Friday nights, except for the fourth week or or the fourth Saturday when you play the Colorado show. Is that correct?
2: Uh Uh-huh, on Saturday, correct.
1: So Saturday. If you want, if you still want to,
2: if you want to replace Frank position on Friday, that's well. No, 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 <laughs> on Saturday.
1: <laughs> nobody could replace Frank Brzee. My goodness, nobody could replace Frank. When you say replace Frank. <laughs> Wait, (laughs) you mean fill in after Frank and and come out and play? Well,
2: you said you want to come on a 10.30 Eastern on Friday, and I said, well... Friday?
1: (laughs) That's what you said. Oh, my goodness, am I glad I have you to keep track of me. (laughs) Wow, no, Saturday, no wonder you asked me. (laughs) Don't ever listen to me, anybody, don't ever listen to me. No, 10.30 Eastern time on Saturdays if I have... The invitation straight in my head. Did I get that invitation correct? Patricia, whatever you want, you get from me. Woohoo! Yeah. Well, anyway, then that's then that's a yes. Walden invited me to begin at 10:30 on Saturdays, and it sounds like a whole lot of fun. So yeah. with or without an interview person scheduled for that night, Walden and I will be together at 10:30 on Saturday nights. 1030 Eastern and that's when the show will begin.
2: Hello Carl, you're on with Patricia. Hello guys, it's Nolan
8: I have a clip, Kenner.
1: Oh, ho, ho. Hello Nolan, you have a clip, Kenner. How are you doing? I'm great. What are we clipping tonight?
8: I've been tuning in and tuning out and that last I heard, well not the last I heard, but part of the evening was talking about that uh, May West broadcast on Oh yeah. the- uh, yes. Jason Sanborn.
1: Yeah. Do you have it?
8: Uh, yeah. I do. and Let me do a test here. I I have to do this on the air, Walden, if it's okay. Why why not? I'm going to drop off here and and, uh, see if you can hear this okay.
1: Okay. Okay. Go for it. We're going to be listening to Mae West, the infamous show that we talked about earlier, the uh, Charlie McCarthy, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy show that got Mae West banned for the rest of her life on radio. Or longer. Or longer. How are we doing?
8: Uh, how'd we do, Walton? Did you, could you hear that? Uh,
1: nope.
8: Okay, no. everybody be quiet, and I'll try again. <laughs> <laughs> you shut up, man.
1: Dead
8: air. <laughs> hear that? Yeah. My heart. My heart. That's just something I'm taking off TV for a, okay. for a level check. Good. So we're, it, we're all set yeah, up. Well, well,
2: turn it, turn it, yeah, turn it up a uh, c- couple notch.
1: Go
8: ahead, Dylan. Are you ready?
1: Yep. Yeah. Can you turn it? Did you turn it up a little bit?
8: I, yeah, I will.
1: Okay. okay,
8: good. Okay, good. I don't have everything set up. It's half torn down from last week. <laughs> I'm just putting pieces of it together in order to try to play this for you.
1: Yeah.
8: And uh, so bear with me.
1: Oh, that's, a, that's okay. This is going to be a fun clip.
8: I hope so. Hold on.
1: Hearing
8: anything, Nolan? I don't have everything I need. I'm, oh, here it is. I oh, found it. Okay. Okay. okay,
1: okay. I, I didn't know if the audio was off or. Uh, go ahead. No,
8: oh, that was me fumbling around. Let's see what we got here. Okay. Okay. Let me call you back.
2: <laughs> okay. This
5: is
8: for this line line up. Up. I'll be Thanks, back.
1: Nolan. Nolan. To you in a little bit. All right.
8: Okay. There
1: he goes. Oh, this is, this is going to be fun. I have never heard this show, and first I knew about it was when Frank Brzee talked about it. Uh, this is the show that had a script about Adam and Eve, and Mae West played the role of Eve and was encouraging the snake. She was talking to the snake in the Garden of Eden and was rooting for the snake to get through the fence so the snake could get an apple for her. And the delivery was a little more than the censors and the station and the listeners and the newspapers wanted to hear. So poor Mae West, she did her thing, she did what she did best, and that was to make everything sound sensuous.
2: All those um, people? You asked me what I did this week, Patricia. One one of the things I did last night... While we're playing, the, the Gasmans were working with me on installing more software. Oh, good. And so, uh, a couple more tests. Uh, they're going to be sending me more Ray Breen material. For all those all you Ray Breen fans out there, the gasmen have a lot more that they're going to email me. Uh, and I'll be able to burn onto CDs. And we'll put them on the show.
1: Oh, hooray. Yeah,
2: yeah. Plus other goodies. Laundle uh,
1: Swan. are interviews are, they could not be paralleled anywhere. Category of their own. They're, they are good. They are good. Well, how was your week, Patricia? Did My you... week was quite acceptable. Thank you very much. I'm, uh, it was one of those where, you know, every minute was gobbled up somewhere, but oh. I don't have a clue where they went. <laughs> you know those kinds of weeks? Uh-huh. If you ask me to give a full accounting of my time, I could say, well, I was really busy Tuesday, and I know I was really busy Wednesday, and I got some good work done on Thursday, but I'm not sure what. <laughs> 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 One of those deals. So anyhow, that was my week. I still haven't heard from Cassie. I'm hoping everything is okay with him because he was not feeling well several weeks ago. We haven't heard from Ralph out in California. We haven't heard hit from him in a couple of weeks, and I've got a CD for Ralph, I know, um, if he can answer some of our questions. I Just one. Just one. Wow. One.
2: Let me give a heads up on some of the future programming on Friday and Sunday nights, Patricia. Something mm-hmm. very, very very special coming up in August. The uh, first two weekends in August. August, Friday, August the 6th, and Friday uh, the 13th, and then it uh, will spill over... On Sunday the 8th and 15th, I have been compiling uh, lots of material that we heard at the tail of World War II. August 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, and, th- and other days around when we wait to see if the Japanese were going to surrender. And so you're going to hear complete hours upon hours of what. People are listening to soap operas, newcasts, all in a row that I have come up with, and also um, I've been compiling stuff I've never heard before until the last few weeks. Uh, what we heard on Mutual and ABC, like I have the, the Queen for a Day, the game show, and the Nick Carter private Nick Carter private detective, and people just standing by waiting to see if the Japanese show.
1: Play day, it's play with current events
2: in it. Yep. Wow. Right, for the Queen for a day, which I just got my hands on. Do so you get the new cast before and after? Uh, I have, I have a wish for where they pretty much interrupt most of play to give a current news by. Mm-hmm. I have a, um, I have a uh, radio Philco Radio Hall of Fame show where it's the first part of the whole show. They're standing by for the last ten hours, waiting for to see if the news is gonna come over, and the White House decided to give the press court a break and tell them just hang in there till midnight, and then what you go to bed for nine hours and come back in. You know, um, pretty you get you get a flavor what America was shooting for. Yeah. So, anyway, because it's the 60th anniversary coming up pretty quickly, and Hugh O'Brien trying to lead a campaign to make August 14th a day of remembrance. Um, that's going to be our way to help s- salute. So we're going to sort of put that together over the, those couple weekends. That
1: so. sounds cool. You mentioned Friday the 13th? Uh-huh. That's my brother's birthday. Ah. Uh. See he was born on a Friday the 13th. I'll have to go back and, and check the year with him. But I'll get to say happy birthday to him.
2: Good. Well, I have a new cast that I heard that night on, fr- <laughs> on uh, Monday, August the 13th with Gabriel Heater, and he's talking about the news. So, good stuff.
1: Well, it sounds like good stuff. Mm -hmm. While we're waiting for Nolan, I want to add one comment to the candles on the Christmas tree. Of course. uh, Did did, did it burn any houses down? Oh, yes, it did. Uh. (laughs) Yes, they did. Every year. And people would, every year, put candles back on the Christmas tree. The... Uh, Kansas Historical Society had a short account uh, written by a woman whose family had candles on the Christmas tree. It was from, she was writing about the 1870s, and it was perhaps uh, the turn of the century when she was writing about 30 years before. And she said they had a tradition or a practice in the family that nobody saw the Christmas tree until they sat down and finished breakfast. So when they finished breakfast, they had to wait in the kitchen or wherever they were sitting. Excuse me. And their parents would go to the Christmas tree, light all the candles, and then say, okay, you can come in and see the tree now. So it was the first time the kids would have seen the tree. What was really interesting to me was that some of the children's gifts were in the tree, that they had been nestled and sort of secreted in the tree where they would have to kind of poke around. So they were poking around Christmas tree branches that had candles on the ends of them looking for their gifts. And she said her father would spend the whole time walking around the tree, walking around the tree, walking around the tree, And each time one of the branches started to uh, smolder, he would pat it out and then go to the next branch and pat it out. And when the children had opened their presents, then they would blow out the candles. But he was actually on fire duty while the kids were opening presents. That's just incredible. Wow.
2: I never do that.
1: I knew that they were very cautious with things like that, but my goodness, he put – on a a fir tree, on an evergreen tree, uh, that they were fresh when they cut them. It's not like the trees that we get today off Christmas tree lots that have been cut for quite a while and drying out, but still, you know, (laughs) it just blows me away that not everybody was burned to smithereens or their houses anyway.
2: I have a homework assignment for Patricia.
1: Ruh-roh. Okay, what is it?
2: You want to look up the origin of how Santa delivers his gifts?
1: Oh, it's it's um different for all different countries. That's
2: what I understand. I just wanted if you could confirm all that. Uh, but I, you know, some be from the rooftop, and I think others get you know, came to the door. I think
1: others at the door, others at the window. They um they um in in Holland, and I don't know if it's still done. Uh, even in you know as a gesture, like um in the early years. Here, at Christmas, kids really did hang up their stockings and socks. And now, of course, it's you buy Christmas stockings, or you make Christmas stockings, and they're just for Christmas. But in Holland, the children had toys put in their wooden shoes by Grandfather Christmas. So I will do that. I will find different customs from different countries and uh, let you know how Santa arrives and how the gifts arrive and when. Not everybody gets them on Christmas. How about ah, that? Very good. I will do that. Very good. I will do that. And I did ask um, earlier today the, the, in Christmas tree history, the first American Christmas tree, where was it? Want to take a shot um, at it?
2: I would say in uh, Wisconsin.
1: This is the first decorated Christmas tree
2: in the United States. Uh-huh. Wisconsin. Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
1: How did you come up with Milwaukee, Wisconsin? <laughs> well, yeah, I, no, it's a, that's not the correct answer. I know. It's such a peculiar place. How did you come up with that? Uh,
2: because I think Wisconsin is one of the four or five popular areas of the country where it grows Christmas trees. That's correct. Yeah. So it's just strictly a shot in the dark.
1: Okay. I mean, it just, we're talking about the very first tree in the entire United States of America, and it didn't come from a tree farm. It was at Williamsburg, Virginia, the colonial really? settlement of Williamsburg, Virginia. Wow. And a professor from William and Mary College set up a little tree, a really small tree, and put decorations on it for children, the, the children in the community. And that was, as far as anybody can find, that was the first decorated Christmas tree in the United States. And it was around, and it wasn't even the United, yes it was. Yeah, we were in the United States in 1842. So it was about 1842. Um, There are a couple of questions about the exact year. It might have been 1844, but in the 1840s. And that's where our very first Christmas tree was decorated. Hello, Carl.
2: You are
8: on the air. Hey, is everybody still awake? We are.
1: Here, I'm waiting. I can't wait to hear this, Nolan.
8: I I hope I don't disappoint you this time. I'm just going to fly by my pants, seat of my pants here, and let's go with it.
1: Okay. Hold on to them. (laughs)
9: And with that nice bit of foreshadowing by Dorothy L'Amour, we come to the event itself, which is the presence of Mae West in our company tonight. Miss West has carved such a sizable niche for herself in the Hall of Fame with her unique characterizations that not only is her name known in every home up and down the country, but the phrases and expressions which she has originated have almost become a part of the American language. For us, she forsakes the picture hats and sweeping dresses of the gay 90s, which you find so becoming in her new picture, and turns back time to step into the Garden of Eden and into the character of the most fascinating woman of them all, Eve. Wendell, will you set the scene for us? Well, of course, we find Adam and Eve in the famous Garden of Eden, and this lighthearted travesty about what might have taken place in those days when the world was young was written for us by Arch Ovaler, one of radio's better-known writers. Under a spreading fig tree rests one Mr. Adam, sprawled out lazily in the hot sun. Eve, obviously, is bored beyond endurance as they play a game of cards with a deck of fig leaves.
6: Listen, tall, tam, and tired... It's time I told you a thing or two. Ever since creation, I've done nothing but playing double solitaire. It's disgusting. It's got me down. Well, we've
9: got a nice place here.
6: That's the trouble. It's too nice.
9: Well, I'm not complaining. Mm,
6: but I want something to happen, a little excitement, a little adventure. A girl's got to have a little fun once in a while. There's no future under a fig tree.
9: Oh. <laughs> now, come on, woman. Be like me. Learn to relax just take it easy.
6: Because mm. I'm a lady of big ideas.
9: Yeah, what kind of ideas? Oh,
6: hmm. you, you have no idea. <laughs> Listen, Adam, I've got to get a chance to expand my personality.
9: Well, go on, expand.
6: <laughs> I will, out there.
9: Out there? You, you mean outside the gates of the Garden of Eden?
6: Now you're talking. Oh, but, but who who knows what's out there? Mm, I'd find out.
9: Oh, no, no, we, we can't go. We, we've still got a lease on this place.
6: You mean... <laughs> You mean to tell me a lease is the thing that's holding me back from developing my personality? Well, a lease is a
9: lease. Anyway, we've got a nice place here. Temperature perfect, sun always shining, nothing but a heavy dew
6: once in a while.
5: Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
6: what are you, the Chamber of Commerce? Oh,
5: go
9: away and let me sleep, will
6: you? L- listen, Adam, I tell you, you got to get me out of this place. you got to break the lease. But what for? This is
9: Eden. Everything is peaceful and quiet
6: and safe. That's the trouble. It's too safe. I tell you, it's disgusting. What are you talking about? Adam, you don't know a thing about women.
9: Oh, you apparently forget you were originally one of my own ribs.
6: Yeah. A rib once, and now I'm beefing.
9: (laughs) Me? I know everything about women.
6: That's covering a lot of territory. (laughs) Listen, long, lazy, and lukewarm. (laughs) You think I want to stay in this place all my life?
9: I do, and I tell you, you're one of my ribs.
6: Yeah, but one of your floating ribs. A Couple of months of peace and security and a woman's board all the way down to the bottom of a marriage certificate. Well, then what do you want, trouble? Trouble, listen. If trouble means something that makes you catch your breath, if trouble means something that makes your blood run through your veins like salsa water, mmm, Adam, my man, give me trouble.
9: Oh, Eve, you, you you don't want trouble. Uh,
6: now, tell me the low-down truth. Ain't there any way you can break our lease?
9: Well, yes, there is. But I won't tell you. No? No, this is paradise. Free light, free heat, free meals. What else could a man want? Answer me that.
6: Oh, I got a couple of good ideas if you'll tell me how to break the lease.
9: No, I won't do it.
6: Oh, Adam. What? Come on over here. Oh, to hold hand? Oh, (laughs) that old game. (laughs) Can't you think of something new? You know, you know nothing about nothing.
9: Oh, yes, I do. I know more than you do, woman.
6: Oh, what, for instance?
9: I know all about the tree.
6: What tree, man? What tree? That apple
9: tree in the middle of the garden. The lease says that if we eat any of its fruit, we get thrown out of here.
6: Oh, now, is that a fact?
9: Sure, that's why there's a fence around it. I tell you one bite of those apples, and we get a dispossess.
6: Hmm, how far? Fascinating. Adam, you can hold my hand now.
9: No. No, I, I got a better idea. Oh,
6: yeah? I'm listening. I'm waiting. Well, what are you going to do now?
9: I think I'll go fishing. Oh.
6: <laughs> How disgusting.
9: Now, wait a minute. You can't talk to me that way. Do you realize I'm man number one? Yeah,
6: but I'm your number one man.
9: Well, <laughs> I'll see you around suppertime. I'll be back. Oh.
6: So that's the trouble. So it's the tree over there.
9: Hmm.
6: Hello, tree. How would you like to do a little lease-breaking for a woman with ideas, Mm hmm? Not room enough to squeeze through those slats for a woman of my personality. Now, if I only knew someone skinny enough.
3: Salutation, Mrs. Eve. Oh,
6: if it isn't Mr. Snake. Hello, long, dark and Mm. (laughs) swinky.
7: Mrs. Eve, why are you standing by that tree?
6: Stop wiggling and I'll tell you. Listen, I know you don't approve, but I've got a little proposition to make. I
3: certainly refuse to listen. What is it?
6: You think uh, with the proper provocation you could squeeze through that fence around the tree? That's
9: the forbidden tree. Oh,
6: don't be technical. Answer me this, my palpitating python. Would you like to have this whole paradise to yourself? Certainly. Okay, then pick me a handful of fruit. Adam and I will eat it. And the garden of Eden is all yours. What do you say?
7: Sounds all right. But it's forbidden fruit. Listen,
6: what are you? My friend in the grass or a snake in the
3: grass? <laughs> forbidden fruit?
6: Are you a snake or are you a mouse?
3: I'll I'll do it. Mm. Now you're talking. Here. Right
6: in between those pickets. I'm I'm stuck. Oh, shake your hips. There, there. Now you're through.
1: I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah,
6: but you're doing all right. Now get me a big one. I feel like doing a big apple.
3: Here you are, Mrs.
6: Eve. Hmm. Ah, I see. Nice going, Swivel Hips.
7: Wait a minute, it won't work.
6: Adam will never eat that forbidden apple. Oh, yes, he will, when I'm through with it. Nonsense, he won't. He will, if I feed it to him like women are going to feed men for the rest of time. What's that? Apple sauce. Eve, where are you? Hmm, waiting, my love, just (laughs) waiting. What have you been doing? Me? Oh, I've just been making a little history. Huh? <laughs> the first woman to make a monkey out of a snake. Say,
9: hey, how about supper? And don't tell me we got fig stew again.
6: Oh, no. Something new. So help me. Something new. Here, have a bite of this.
8: Well, what is it?
6: What kind of sauce? It's good for you.
8: Uh,
9: are you sure?
6: Mm, just to prove it's pure, 100% proof, I'll have a demi of it myself. All right, I'll... Oh, well... no, no wait... Before you eat, answer me this. Are you going to take me out of this dismal dump and give me a chance to develop my personality? Oh,
9: Eve, are you going to start that over again? Mm.
6: No, I'm going to end it. Eat your sauce, big boy, and hold your hat if you've got one.
9: Oh, say, say, this is darn good sauce. Where where, where did you find it? (laughs) Oh, oh, my head. What?
6: Oh, what happened to me? and dispossessed. Uh, but but why? Forbidden sauce. Oh,
9: Eve, what have you done?
6: I've just made a little more history, that's all. I'm the first woman to have her own way and a snake will take the rap for it.
9: <laughs> but, Eve, we've lost the Garden of Eden. We're... We're, we're just... Eve, it's... It's as if I see you for the first time. You're beautiful.
6: And you fascinate me.
9: Your eyes? Oh,
6: tell me more. Your your lips.
9: Come closer. I want to hold you closer. I want
6: to. You wanna what? Eve, what? What 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 was that? That was the original kiss.
2: December 12th, 1937,
1: Patricia. That is amazing. You know what caught my attention more than anything? Obviously, um, number one is that it was so benign by comparison to what we're accustomed to listening to. Yep. But the audience was cracking up. They loved it. Mm -hmm. And I'm confident, in part, it was the, the body language and what they were doing in front of the audience, not just saying the words. But the audience loved it, and in the aftermath, the world went crazy. It sure was. Is Nolan there? We lost Maybe, Nolan.
2: We're probably waiting for him to get disconnected to get back on with us. Oh, he
1: has, he has to go around the, the, yeah. the back door on I that think one. so. But uh, were you surprised to hear the audience reacting like that?
2: Well, I was listening to him. I mean, I've heard us several times, and... Uh, going back to it, yes, I, I it, it got a lot more audience reaction than, than what I remembered.
1: And it was... It there
8: you was,
1: go. Hello. Hi, are you back? Hey, I just came back
8: in. Everything okay?
1: Oh, it's, it was great. It, I had not ever heard that one before, Nolan, so I doubly appreciate it. That's was, funny, isn't it? I was... Gee, yeah, it is. <laughs> Commenting to Walden that obviously the content is very benign compared to what we're accustomed to listening to today
8: right or seeing for that matter.
1: It was hardly even suggestive but the one thing that struck me was that the audience was going crazy for it. They loved it. And yet in the aftermath everybody on the other side of the studio went went crazy in another direction. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty neat performance myself it was I well am I allowed to say I think it was a crummy script. But on a sure. permanent. Who's going to get
8: to you uh, after you after 1937, or uh,
1: 27, 37
8: was yeah. 37, yeah. Well, How many years is that, Walden? Babe How many years is 37 from.
2: From, uh, where was she here? That is 73 years ago.
8: Good, great. Yeah. And the quality was very good, wasn't it? Excellent, yeah. When you yeah. think about I keep hearing that, you know, we didn't want to transcribe programs because the quality was not good enough until 1949 or something, right. and then we go back and listen to some of this. It's perfectly acceptable. I don't I mean, understand that.
2: Well, they, I think they would get really nervous, um, if something went, went wrong, what were they going to use to protect themselves? You know, if they nearly skipped or something like that, that's probably, I think, part of the reason why they didn't go for recorded recorded so early. Yeah. You yeah. Know.
8: I was thinking of something we did once at the county fair. We had a booth out there had a big radio an old radio on the uh, counter there and some giveaways and some dra- drawings and things and we, we piped in some radio programs from the studio old shows you know over the telephone line and into the uh, radio we drove it a little hard apparently because the phone company got a complaint from a lady that I have a little I don't think she uses the word crosstalk, but that's what she had and I have these voices I hear on my telephone and and, and you won't believe what I'm hearing <laughs> <laughs> I was hearing the shadow and Amos and Andy and all this on her telephone because we were driving it too hard and it was bleeding over onto her phone line.
1: Oh, wow. Funny.
8: She was, thought she was in, you know, some other world there for a <laughs> while. <laughs> little,
1: uh, little doo 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 That's funny.
8: Well, guys, this is why I don't work the overnight shift. It's because I'm not too handy.
2: <laughs> you think get fine. You save me a lot of work at my CD, I would have to fast-forward, and I wouldn't have gotten it too, as quick as you did. So you, you did a good job.
8: Well, uh, I'll work on it for next time. There you well,
1: go. It was, it was great fun. I really appreciate your finding it, Nolan.
8: Glad to. We'll we'll talk to you all soon.
1: All right, Nolan. Yeah, thanks, thanks
8: so much. Welcome. Have a good morning.
1: You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: And this is the morning shift here on Yesterday USA. You can give a call and have uh, Patricia cook breakfast at 714. Five four five two zero seven one. We have omelette. Steak and egg. Uh, how did you know? I'm a good omelette maker. Oh, I love omelette. So omelette, steak and egg. And that's an art. My mom does not do good omelette, so it's dad that makes the omelette around here. Omelet, so
1: I'm a good omelette maker.
2: You, you, got, you get
1: everything in a Patricia omelette. Oh. Uh, oh, everything. You get onions and peppers and ham and mushrooms and cheese. Everything and uh, did I say onions? You yeah. got two doses yep. of onions. I love
2: onions. Well, then you're going to have to make me a batch the next time we get together. So I could do that. You know, you know, and omelets are good for dinner too. I say what? They, yeah, Okay, we, we will have just uh, an omelet for dinner.
1: Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I love breakfast for dinner. Yeah. Once in a while I'll go out with a friend and we'll grab a bite to eat at, I don't know if you have them out there. Do you have Perkins out there? Nope. Perkins restaurants? No. Nope. Um, it's, uh, you know, really family w- stuff with booths and tables, right. and, um,
2: Right. Like, for example, the first time I ever ate at a Cracker Barrel was in Florida. Uh-huh. You know, and I, I think that was a southern restaurant.
1: It, I think it is. It's a southern chain.
2: Yeah, and I think, um, I've never eaten at a Waffle House here in California. The only ones I've ever eaten at seem like in Texas, you know. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, we looked that up one time. You you got robbed out there. <laughs> waffle houses. I mean, my goodness, you get grits with your eggs at a waffle house. Yummy. I love grits. I'll have your grits. I know people that grits. I don't think I've
2: ever eaten grits, so I have no idea what that any of that's like.
1: Oh, see, you come at this with an open mind. Good for you. Yeah. What a weird name, grits.
2: Well, so I spam. I've never had spam. I don't know what that's like.
1: I don't think I've ever eaten spam. You know? Okay, so we need Favorite Christmas show, mm-hmm. favorite Christmas tradition, favorite Christmas song, and now favorite breakfast. 714 545 2071. Who first recorded Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer?
2: We're written by Johnny Marsh, everybody. That might give you a clue. Johnny Marsh wrote Rudolph, who recorded it. He also recorded Frosty. He was also the same gentleman that wrote Here Comes Santa Claus.
1: So there. So there. If you know one of them <laughs> If you know one, you know the rest of them. And we want to know where Lum and Abner lived.
2: They live right down there.
1: Right it, down there. Right down there. Yes. Would yeah. you like to know how to make Christmas tree ornaments out of dough?
2: I would love t- I would love to know. In fact I, I think I have, think I even done that.
1: Well, I have heard about this for years. hmm And Goodness. I know, think I, mean. I think we
2: hunt them up. You could string like a uh, uh, yarn through them and then hang them up.
1: You can string of what through them? Yarn. Yarn? Mm-hmm. You mean like, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Like knitting yarn yeah. type stuff. Yeah. Yes. yeah, Well, according to what I have found, and these, I, I found this version in several different places. So I'll have to trust that it's correct. I mean, some of them went nuts and it looked like a Sunday dinner by the time we got to the end of the ingredients. But this one says, begin with a half a cup of salt, two cups of flour, and one cup of water. That's all it takes. And you combine all the ingredients and knead it for seven to 10 minutes until it's smooth and it gets a putty-like texture. Right. And then you roll it out to about a quarter of an inch thick. You Don't make it any thinner than that because when the ornaments bake, they'll be brittle if it's, if it's too thin and they'll be, they'll be fragile and they'll break. So you use cookie cutters to make shapes and you bake them on a cookie sheet at 325 degrees until brown. Or let them air dry overnight, which sounds like a dandy idea to me. And when they're cool or dried, you can paint them or varnish them or do anything you want.
2: Or put powdered sugar on them. Pardon? Put powdered sugar on them.
1: And, well, I don't know about powdered sugar. You can't eat the thing. (laughs) So probably a little bit of flour to sprinkle on for uh, the effect of snow would be good. Um, But before they dry out, obviously, or before you put them in the oven, you have to make a hole in the top so that you've got... Uh, a place to put a string or a Christmas ornament hook to put them on the Christmas tree. So that's pretty
2: cool. Awesome.
1: Now you can have cinnamon tree ornaments.
2: Cinnamon tree ornaments? Cinnamon
1: Christmas tree ornaments. I didn't say that in, in the correct sequence. Okay. Cinnamon Christmas tree ornaments that are cinnamon. Wow. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready. I've never heard of this one before. That's
2: new on me. I mean, occasionally around the house we'll have, um, I, I think there's cinnamon oil, and you know, if you have it in the house, it'll it'll give an order of cinnamon throughout the house.
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes. You know. I, I know exactly what you're talking right, about. Right, All right. Alright, now these are cinnamon Christmas tree ornaments. Okay. You start out with five ounces of ground cinnamon five ounces. That's an awful lot of cinnamon. And 10 tablespoons of applesauce. Five ounces of cinnamon, 10 tablespoons of applesauce.
2: Applesauce?
1: Applesauce. (laughs) And it was in recipe after recipe after recipe, cinnamon and applesauce. Occasionally somebody would put a little like cloves or something in there to make it smell even better. But You blend the cinnamon a little at a time into the applesauce to make a thick dough. And again, you roll it out a quarter of an inch uh, and use cookie cutters. And you can bake it. You have to bake it, all right? You have to put these on a screen or wire type material in the oven. Now, this is a little delicate here, 150 to 200 degrees for two hours. Very slow.
2: That's a slow cooking deal, okay? Very slow. Yeah.
1: Cinnamon and applesauce—they must sem- smell wonderful. Oh, I bet ain't it
2: honey. does. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But uh, you can decorate with ribbons and beads and all sorts of neat things like that. <coughs> so those are my recipes for tonight: well, dough then. Christmas tree ornaments and cinnamon Christmas tree oh. ornaments.
2: Yeah. And gingerbread. Start
1: making them now and have them ready for Christmas, Walton.
2: <laughs> How about gingerbread? Gingerbread house.
1: Oh, oh, my goodness, that's a career. Yeah, yeah. That takes an awful lot of patience. Do I have to – is that my homework for next week? I have to look up Gingerbread House and stuff? Sure.
2: We did it twice. We've done it here a couple of times. It's a big
1: deal. It's a big deal. Yes, it is. Yeah. And it's a big deal making the pieces the right size. Mm -hmm. It's a big, big deal getting them together. With the frosting, yep. or the icing in between, and
2: holding them together that way at least sets until, right.
1: until and you do it th- without fracturing something <laughs> in the process, <laughs> and then decorating with the icing and the gumdrop, oh, yeah. all of the things that go on a gingerbread house. Oh, yeah. They're wonderful. It's, it's just heartbreaking to either watch it deteriorate or have something, somebody attack it with a fork. You know? <laughs> <laughs> It's a heartbreaker. You put so much work into it. Oh. What happened to the ones you made?
2: We ate them. You did eat them? Uh-huh. Sometimes what we do is pull off the candy bits and pieces as we go. So in other words, we would decorate through the holidays, and after Christmas over, you would pull off a, a gumdrop or, or a, a mint, you know, as, uh-huh. as you went.
1: And then you would get to the good stuff. Uh-huh.
2: So that's how we did it.
1: Like rabbits in the garden. Yep. A little nibble at a time. Yep. I'm gonna go for the heart of it.
2: You're gonna you know, go for I'm the ever
1: at your house and you've got a gingerbread house there. All right. And it's after Christmas and you start nibbling the gumdrops.
2: You, you'll you'll go you'll go ahead and get take a take a a roof for a, a wall right away. Back,
1: get back there fast or the thing is gone. <laughs> it's <laughs> toast. It's in my tummy. <laughs> well, you know oh, uh,
2: what we always do for Christmas Eve. You were talking about breakfast or whatever. Traditionally around here, is homemade cinnamon rolls. Ooh, yum. Yeah, the mom would bake them several weeks in advance and freeze them, and then, then we would, you know, warm them up. hmm And when I was a little kid for many years, we Rabbit. It's what we grew up with, you know, the cheese sauce on uh-huh. on crackers.
1: Right.
2: Saltine crackers, which Good I stuff.
1: like.
2: Which I like.
1: Good stuff. Now, that's about the easiest question in the whole wide world that Walden has asked. What is Patricia's favorite word?
2: Nobody knows.
1: Welsh rabbit sounds like good stuff. stuff. Everybody knows. Nobody's calling. I know. How disappointing. I've got CDs to give away. I know. 714-545-2071.
2: Maybe they went to the North Pole. Maybe they went to the South Pole.
1: I don't think the South Pole.
2: You know, We're think? talking
1: Christmas... They're in the North Pole. Okay. The elves.
2: The elves.
1: Okay. Airplane tuning. I have to tell you this.
2: What is air- I've never heard of airplane tuning, Patricia. I
1: never did either, but when I heard it explained, I understood what they were talking about, and what I was looking at made sense. What I was looking at <clears throat> was like, uh, this is a, a, a dial on a radio, and it looks like a clock. With a short hand and a long hand. The big hand and the little hand that we use. Want to take the call? Sure. Okay. Hello, caller.
3: I sure would like for you to send me some cinnamon stuff in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be even better than CDs, I think, at this point. I'm hungry. Cinnamon stuff. <laughs> hungry. <laughs> you can't, Sounds like can't good stuff, these. yeah.
1: You can't eat these, Ron.
3: What, the cinnamon rolls?
1: Oh, the cinnamon rolls, yeah. I want
3: to eat the cinnamon rolls, yeah.
1: Oh, I thought you were talking about my cinnamon ornaments.
3: Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to eat, the cinnamon ornaments. That's right. You can't eat it?
1: Well, you you can do anything you want, but it's not going to come with an enjoy them now type thing. <laughs> These are hang-on-the-tree things.
3: No, I love cinnamon, though. I, I, I think cinnamon has a real interesting taste
1: to it. It does. It's got a soothing scent. There's there's something about cinnamon that just makes you feel like you're home.
3: Mhm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How are you doing?
3: Well, I just got through playing a, a, a two hours of dance music.
1: Wow.
3: We played some Glenn Miller. We played some we played some oldies but goodies of stuff. It was lots of fun. Hey, I enjoyed that um, thing that you, um, with, wow, let's see, that comedy bit, Adam and Eve thing.
1: Oh, yes. I'm so happy Nolan had it for us.
3: That was fun.
1: I thought it was funny, and the audience loved it. But the aftermath was terrible. I mean, people were boycotting Chase and Sanborn, they were getting hate mail. The <laughs> New York Times said it was a vomitous act. And no. Mae West got banned from radio forevermore.
3: You know, 19. I guess in 1937, there's a lot of things you couldn't do in 1937 that unfortunately you can get away with now, you know?
1: Agreed. Agreed. What surprised me, though, Ron, was that the audience loved it. They laughed. They were falling out of their chairs at a couple of different places. But they were apparently the only ones who felt good about it.
3: Yeah, It's, it's unfortunate that, well... You know, and they, and they didn't, there weren't no swear word or cuss word or whatever. But
1: nothing, nothing.
3: Nowadays, it's so unfortunate that to get away with so things that, you know, you don't want your 7-year-old to watch, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
3: or something, so, your I don't know. 7-year-old to watch sometimes. Anyway, I just why I say hello. I'm, I'm kind of, I don't, like, I, I don't have the kind of energy that you guys got at, oh, what time is it, 3.30 in the morning almost? For you? Four
1: four o'clock here.
3: Ridiculous, you know. You guys, you guys sound <laughs> as if you were, you were, you took, you're so wide awake. I feel bad that I'm so sleepy. <laughs>
1: um, you want to try a question? And I know I've got something that you might want.
3: Go ahead, ask me, and I'll see if I can.
1: Ask ask you a question. I've got a couple of questions here. Um, first question was, uh, let's see, Luman Abner. Where did they live? What town did they live in?
3: Pine Ridge, right? You got it. Is that Pine Ridge?
1: It's Pine Ridge, yes. See, you're not tired. Oh. No. You're not worn
3: out. Just here's a question that I could answer Lemon Abner. Yeah, Pine Ridge, I guess. Good. Like Lemon Abner? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't.
1: You are too funny. But do the like answer. Okay.
3: Lemon <laughs> And they can stay in Pine Ridge. <laughs> no, they're 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 very good, but it's not one of my favorites.
1: Well, it's, it's Lemon Avner is something you either like or you don't like.
3: You got? It I tell you what,
1: doesn't seem to be anything in the middle.
3: You got some Boston Blackie?
1: I do. So have Boston Blackie.
3: Okay, well that's good. That's good enough.
1: Well then, you will have Boston Blackie. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever asked for Boston Blackie before.
3: I like Boston Blackie.
1: Oh, you didn't tell me. But now I know and now you'll have it.
3: Yes, that sounds good. I'll, I'll I'll send you something in the mail that I won't tell you about because right now my my brain is not functioning so and I even if you asked me I wouldn't be able to tell you. But I, I don't think you have this and I'll send it to you.
1: Okay. That
3: sounds like okay. great fun. Balden, how are you? I'm
2: fine. I'm just surviving the hot weather, seventy two degrees or so here in California.
3: You know, I understand. It's like on the East Coast, it went up to like 102 yep. and stuff like that.
2: Yep. Brutal.
3: And they say Chicago has had some real bad rain. That's true. I
1: was talking? And flooding there. The uh, Milwaukee airport had to shut down because the planes and the runways were flooded. In the the runways were
3: were flooded. My um uh, my my grandson was supposed to come in last night on Delta from San Diego, but they canceled the flight. And because they couldn't get the plane couldn't get to San Diego, because of thunderstorms and stuff.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. So um, what is he going to do? Did he
3: come in today? No, then they got him. They, they had to stay overnight in San Diego and then came home to them on to on Alaskan airline or something like that. <laughs> something. but yeah, um, but I know it's, it's been raining in Chicago and stuff. And it's been hot in Baltimore, <laughs> so I don't know. How's the weather in Florida?
1: Uh, it's in the middle 90s every day.
3: Middle 90s?
1: Yeah.
3: It, they get really hot in September, right?
1: Well, August and September are very hot months here. August, I think, well, maybe September. August and September are our big hurricane season day a month, so um, I guess it goes along with the heat. The warmer the well, water. I went to
3: Disney World in September.
1: It's the storms
3: and and it got really humid, you know.
1: Yes, it did. The other night, I walked past the Weather Channel on television, and it was 97%. Wow. I, just, I don't think I've ever seen it that much. Well, that's not true. A, a couple of times, it's been 100% when it's uh, been cooling down and raining. But, um, you know, it would, it, that, that's kind of high even for us.
3: So, Walden, what's going to be your last show tonight? Uh, Febba McGee and Molly. Which, which, which era? Which year or whatever? We're gonna do December 24th,
2: 1940. That's the one Patricia picked out.
3: 1940.
2: 1940. That's and exciting. then tomorrow, you might wanna listen, uh... What we got, Ron, is, uh...
3: I, oh, by the way, before you tell me, yeah. I gotta commend you. Last Sunday, I had the Phil Harris interview. It was excellent.
2: Wasn't it awesome?
3: Yeah. Excellent. It was awesome. It was excellent. awesome. And what more can I say?
2: Well, next well,
3: what's happening tomorrow night?
2: Tomorrow night, couple of things. We're gonna have a two-hour interview with Jay Livingston and Ray Evans, talking Jay about they talking about all those famous songs they wrote. You know, Mona Lisa, Case of Silver Bell, all the stories, the the theme from Bonanza, Mr. Ed, and you'll hear two hours of them telling stories how they put together all that music.
3: One quick question, Walden, Yeah. Or or, or, or Patricia, either one of you. Do you remember a radio show starring Barbara Whiting called Junior Miss?
2: Uh-huh, sure do. Oh. Yep, there, we, there were f- four four of those 15-minute episodes fighting around. Um, she, Barbara, of course, and, and the great girls she was Leroy's girlfriend. She was Babs, the next Babs, night. yeah. Oh. And, yeah, and then, of course, she and her sister had that TV show. And then Barbara just passed away here about a couple years ago. She was living in Detroit. And, but, yep. You bet. So, you,
3: so you remember that show, Junior Miss?
2: Uh-huh. So, and there's four of them. There's four of them available.
3: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So maybe Patricia can find that someday. Maybe, maybe Patricia can find it. She'll put a hard hat on. Yep. She'll put a hunting hat on. Yep. And she'll go hunting. I, I'll if put I my
1: remember, hat on and go into the mine.
3: You're you're <laughs> a very good hunter. I am.
1: Patricia,
3: if you ever find Junior Miss, email email. Um, uh, something, let me know that you were able to find some, you know?
1: If I find it, I will put it in an envelope for you.
3: Well, but but Boston Black is more important at this time.
1: Boston. Anyway,
3: it's nice talking to you guys. I, I don't want to just ramble on saying nothing. You guys are great without me, so <laughs> you guys keep it up and keep on making people happy. All right.
1: You keep on making people happy. You've been playing a lot, and my gosh, I hope they appreciate you, Ron.
3: We'll talk to
2: you guys next week, okay? Sounds okay, good, thanks. Bye-bye.
1: Aloha. Aloha.
2: uh Wouldn't be a week without Ron and, uh, and the rest of the family. See, if our family members are awake or getting up, give us a call. <laughs>
1: right. You know? It's almost time for some of them to start getting up. You're
2: yeah, right. Yeah, we are, we, we, we take care of people. We take care of the, uh, the, uh, people who go to bed and the people who get up. We're, we're a full-service Saturday night show.
1: And anything in between. That's right. <laughs> We haven't figured out, I guess, if this is a late night show or an early morning show.
2: No, I think it's both. Were they? Were the late late, late late early, early morning, morning Saturday night special?
5: Okay.
2: In fact, when when Gasman said he just can't, you know, Patricia, you know, she's just amazing. She can stay up all night and just <laughs> be so bundle and bushy. You 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 know, Patricia, your stamina is what everybody's amazed about
1: nice i'm known for something i'm known for something yeah good
2: your stamina
1: this is yes. stamina i have i do have a lot of stamina you're
2: right
5: i'm missing
1: other things (laughs) (laughs) stamina i do have you are absolutely correct so um did you figure out yet about the um What did did I say? The air what? (laughs) The airplane tuning. No,
2: we we really haven't gotten involved in that. So if you want to start from the beginning of that, let's go.
1: That's right, because the phone rang. That's right. Maybe the phone will ring again, 714-545-2071. Join our family, new callers only. If you've never called Walden and me before, you get a free CD just off the top. You don't even have to answer a question. How can you turn down a deal like that?
2: I'm going to say, well, you know, if, I, if it were two CDs, I might consider it, but for one, yeah, well. Really? Well, yeah, well.
1: Well, if you call in, you get a CD, and if you answer a question, you'll get a second CD. Oh, there you
2: go. Sound? There you go. Is that a deal? That's a deal.
1: That's a deal. Yeah. New caller. We need one new caller tonight. There's somebody out there who loves us enough to pick up the phone and call. I just know it airplane tuning radio, and apparently was very popular uh, when it first, not when it first started, it probably first came in somewhere in the 1940s, and that's a guess on my part. I did not get a date on this. I was just so taken with the system itself. <clears throat> but it looks like an airplane um, instrument. Uh, the, the dials on an instrument where you would have two hands, a, a big hand and a little right. hand, just like a clock. Right. But with the radio, it was actually the dial that you were turning. The big hand was the fine dial. The small hand went to the station you wanted. And then the big hand uh, did the fine tuning. It would take you in closer and closer and closer to the broadcast um, point, where you would get a clear, um, a clear sound out, or as clear as possible out of the radio. You didn't have the, the push button and the automatic and the 88.8 type things that we have today. But it was it was the two hands, just like you would find on an airplane um, dashboard. And that's where the name airplane tuning came from. Wow. And I thought that was really, I had never heard that before. Now, there's somebody out there who has heard that. So whoever had heard that before, please call and let me know where you heard it. Really fun stuff. Good.
2: Anything else on your table?
1: Oh, boy. Well, what I have on the table relates to the next show. Um, So if you want to talk about that, or we could do other stuff for a while, like somebody could call in Uh and tell me which stuff is my favorite word. Stuff, 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 stuff. Stuff, stuff, stuff. Do you know the 12 Days of Christmas? I think I do. Um, how many geese were laying? Four. Nope.
2: Six. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I how think many? I read one. I think i occasionally every year what they do is calculate how much that is, is worth in yes. dollars and numbers, right? Hundred, some odd thousand dollars. Oh, it's,
1: it's a huge amount. Yeah. I mean, when you get to the five golden rings, you're in the, <laughs> you're in the money right there. Um, I, I don't, d- how do you count maids and ladies? Ooh,
2: maybe with the slave trade, I have no idea.
1: I don't either.
2: Hey, we were gonna look at, we were gonna look th- you put that in your homework, you were gonna look up the, uh, symbol. I think it's, you it all symbol for, uh, religious church things, if I recall. When they wrote, I think the song was written, uh, during the English period of time. So I don't know if you had time yet to figure out what those uh, 12 different days m- symbolize.
1: Christmas gift costumes. I'm yep. writing down yep. my homework yep. assignment.
2: Yeah. And right.
1: origin of 12 days of Christmas.
2: Right.
1: Um, we talked two weeks ago about the 12 days of Christmas. Do you remember what we talked about? Dennis Daly called in and we were talking a little bit about it.
2: Um, well, we talked about... Uh, the twelfth the twelfth night with him. Uh-huh. That Christmas started really on the Christmas Eve of the twenty fourth and would go all the way up to January sixth. Right. And then we talked about the Equinox. Um